Welcome to episode 40 of Super States, Practices of Transformation with me, your host, Joshua Peters. Super States is the podcast that explores the intersection of trans states in all the ways you can access them with personal growth. And in each episode, we talk to world-class experts, industry leaders, revolutionary thinkers who are sharing the latest information tools along with their own personal stories to help inspire us on our journey. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast host, or you can subscribe on YouTube. That way you'll stay up to date with new episodes. And if you enjoy this show, please give me a five-star review. That is the best way to help the show grow, to let the audience get even bigger. Today, I speak with Michael Tierno. Michael is a transformative guide who facilitates personal growth through expanded states. He holds men's retreats in the United States, and he runs an ayahuasca retreat center in Peru. Michael has a deep commitment to the well-being and the growth of those that he works with, and he focuses on integrating the insights gained during these super states. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Healing the Masculine Through Psychedelic Wisdom with Michael Tierno. Welcome to Super States. I am here today with Michael Tierno. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joshua. I'm very happy to be here. I've seen a couple episodes and I like what I've seen. Awesome. Great to, great to have a, a, a viewer <laughs> along for the ride today. Sure. Michael, describe what it is that you do and how that transforms people's lives? Well, I do primarily three things. I have three kind of projects that I do. So the first thing is I work with people one-on-one -on -one in expanded states uh, using exogenous substances, one or another. Um, so that's what I do mostly. Um, I also uh, have a men's retreat for for men that takes place here in the United States. And we use a variety of expanded states modalities and teach a variety of things to basically give people the tools to um, have a better, better life, basically. And then the third thing I do, and those happen about four times a year. And the third thing I do is I have a, an ayahuasca retreat center in Peru that I run with some friends from down there. And that's, you know, also a great passion of mine. I'm very honored to be a part of that path and working with the people that we work with down there. Yeah. That's uh, that's, you asked me uh, how, how it changes people's lives. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I guess that's the whole point of this podcast is these expanded states and how they uh, and how they can transform people. Um, um, I mean, my role, especially in the first two things, the one-on-one -on -one, uh, guided sessions and the uh, Men of Integrity Retreats is kind of threefold. First is I, um, my primary role is to make a safe container. So people, I think in expanded states, especially these kinds of expanded states that we're talking about are in their most vulnerable uh, and open uh, sort of places they could be in their entire lives. Mm -hmm. And in, in terms of honoring that and allowing them to have, you know, the experience that they need to have so that they can really get some use from it for their, for the rest of their lives, the container, they need to feel absolutely and totally safe. Right. The second thing I do in both of these, uh, both of these projects is um, I listen to them. I like to say, I'm going to listen to you like no one's ever listened to you before. So with total curiosity 
and zero judgment. I've heard a lot of stuff and, you know, you're not going to get a shocked reaction from me or anything like that. It's like just pure, pure compassion, uh, total curiosity, just understand like the whole uh, area of, of where the person's coming from and absolutely zero judgment. And then the third, um, the third thing that I do is to help them, you know, make sense of the experience, uh, take copious notes. Um, I'm probably the only guide on planet earth at the moment because guides typically are a little bit more hippie-ish and they're not very good at technology. Probably the only guide that actually records and transcribes, gives them a transcription of the entire journey. And that's really important for their integration because they can go back and, you know, the biggest part of integration is remembering the actual experience. And sometimes when you're in an expanded state, um, you can't, you, it feels like, oh, I have something happened. I don't remember. Yeah. And when you have, you know, a 30 to 160 page transcript of everything we talked about, you're know, going through it. It's like, Oh, and then there's so much more to the journey that isn't captured in the transcript, but the transcript helps you remember it. So those mm -hmm. are kind of the three main, uh, I guess, broadest categories. Of course, I do a lot more in the journey and stuff like that, but um, but those are the big categories of what I do. Great. That's that's uh, I, I like, and I like how all three of those things they fit for all three of those areas that you're working within as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah share with us how you got to how you got to this point like wh what's your uh origin story sure so you know throughout my life i always kind of felt like i've had all these different kind of hats that i've worn over the last 50 years i'm 50 years uh, old right now and while i was going through life it felt like hold on a second are you an academic are you a business owner are you this or that all these kinds of different things and now from my place in terms of what I do, um, I'm like, it felt like a really windy road while I was doing it. But then when I look back, I was like, oh, it all kind of made sense in retrospect. So um, I guess I can, I'll start with some key events, I suppose. Um, when I was 16, I fell in love with psychology. Uh, I decided <laughs> an early ambitious career path. I wanted to become a uh, uh, academic clinical psychologist. Of course, I didn't quite know what the breadth of psychology was at the time. So clinical psychology was the thing uh, for me at that moment when I was 16. I was in, super interested in consciousness as well already, just kind of like, what is this thing? Like, um, But not very well articulated or um, ideas about what that might be. I went to uh, university for psychology with the intention of continuing on for grad school. That did happen. Uh, something interesting in psychology in, when I was at the University of Santa Cruz is my, uh, my, my girlfriend who became my wife and mother of my children at the time. She was an intern for David Chalmers. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, what's his book? Um, he, he articulated in, in the, what's called the hard problem, hard problem of consciousness, which mm -hmm. is um, that there's the, the, the reality that there's nothing about physical states or brain states that actually um, sh that we know of that actually causes like phenomenological um, experience. So there's nothing about, we've never found like a real relationship where we can predict like what a, what a strawberry tastes like or what love feels like or any of the experiences uh, that we have as humans in our conscious experience that actually correlate. So there's this thing called the hard problem of consciousness. They've been working on it for 25 years in philosophy of mind and psychology and neuroscience and, still big fat zero. In fact, there was a 
a conference re recently where they acknowledged that we've made absolutely zero progress in finding like physical, uh, physical, having a physical model for consciousness. So that's interesting because that kind of background of having the hard problem of consciousness in my mind has been with me for the next, you know, 25 years myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I graduated from college and went to graduate school, but not in clinical psychology. I studied social psychology, got into a, a doctorate program. And after I, and in, in social psychology, I was actually working in consumer psych. So consumer psychology, so advertising, you know, how does advertising work, attitude change, all this kind of stuff. Um, I was really passionate about it, but I learned that while I was in the grad school, I could get other master's degrees while I was there for free. So I had a full ride. I was in the graduate school. So I, I moved laterally and went to the MBA uh, with the intention of going back after I got the MBA. I said, if I'm going to do consumer psychology, I might as well learn about business. I don't know anything about business. Mm -hmm. So I did that two years, got an MBA. And as part of the MBA program, you had to do an internship. So I interned for one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world and then learned what it was like to actually make a salary that wasn't a student salary. <laughs> um, I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. I can go out to restaurants. I can do all this stuff. It was like, and so I jumped ship and I left, um, you know, took a leave of absence that is a permanent leave of absence from the PhD program. Mm -hmm. um, worked for the pharmaceutical company for five years. And that's important now because I can actually speak you know, as, as psychedelics and these uh, expanded states move into like the pharmaceutical industry and businesses trying to like, you know, infringe on these sacred states and like make money off them. I have like an insider's view as to how a pharmaceutical company works. I worked yeah. in the international division in market research and in marketing. So I have a really bird's eye view of how a lot of these things worked. Um, that career path was not conducive to having a family. I was traveling all over the world, like half the month. And my wife got pregnant and we decided that that wasn't going to be what we needed to do. So we moved to family in California, raised our kids. I, we bought a business and ran it for, for, you know, still, it's still being run. Uh, we 10 x it in 12 years and had a lot of employees, but it really got devastated, uh, during COVID, which was a blessing because that was about four years ago. And that's when I actually started guiding and doing this work. Now, backtracking a little bit, eight years ago, uh, I was, you know, business owner, very successful, that kind of stuff. And a, what you call a physicalist or rational materialist and kind of militant about it, like very much into like, there's only this physical world and like everything else is bullshit. There's nothing in the woo woo and everything else is woo woo outside of that. And I was, very well versed in the arguments for that as well as um, one could really be versed in that since there's more to it and through a, a long story that's interesting but not for this time uh, i ended up going to peru <laughs> and doing ayahuasca and i was like oh shit i've been totally wrong <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot more to this there's a lot more to this human experience than uh <laughs> than atoms and quarks and stuff. And I was like, oh boy, now how do we kind of reconcile this, you know, kind of a crisis of faith in my, crisis of faith in my uh, materialistic paradigm, my metaphysics. Uh, continued to have a relationship with Peru over the last eight years. I've probably been there at least a dozen times. I went to the same retreat center several times. Um, they asked me about three years into it. They said, you know, Michael, um, 
you have this way with people to make them feel comfortable. So you don't have to, you come anytime you want as a volunteer and just hang out. Like, I was like, wow, okay. Sounds good to me. Um, but then COVID happened. And then right before COVID happened, friends started me to asking me to trip sit for them. So, Hey, I want to do this. I don't feel safe. I know, you know, a little bit about this stuff. Trip sit, trip sit with me. I was like, okay. So I started doing that. Word of mouth happened. That kind of like became more and more people trip sitting. I took some uh, coursework on doing this formally as a guide. Um, and, uh, studied also with a uh, teacher, Marcella Pontigozo in Peru, passed away last year. Uh, she taught me a lot of like the more like Andean Cosmovision things and some ceremonial sort of aspects that I introduced to my practice. Um, let's see, continue to do many, 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 many medicine journeys, unpacking myself, getting in touch with myself. And, um, and then a few years ago, uh, my friend and I were doing a journey together in Yosemite and uh, the psilocybin didn't work, but something happened because we all of a sudden came up with this idea to do these men's retreats. Uh, during the time that we were supposed to be under the influence, we were in front of a computer and we just banged out. It just came out of us like yeah. this retreat. So we've done eight of those retreats since then. They've been probably of anything I've ever seen, any modality I've ever seen, those have had the most just absolute impact on people's lives. I mean, I would say like 90% of uh, our graduates have given up all pornography, all, no, sorry, 90% of our graduates have given up at least one of the following pornography, marijuana, or alcohol. About 70% of them have given up all of it. They just don't do it. And it's not something that we teach you not to do. Like we don't say you have to stop drinking and stuff just through the process of these days, they've given up. It's been like massive transformations in that. It's been a real blessing to do that. One of the things that we do and that is like when you graduate from the retreat, we don't just kind of drop you and say like, all right, have a good life. Like you're part of the community. So we have like a monthly support group for everybody who's graduated. We have a study group that we study a book. We're studying from the core by John Wyland, a uh, student of David Data's. Um, we do all kinds of stuff They be, have become, that group has become really part of my friends group. Um, we're starting a, a women's sort of circle run by the women that are affiliated with men of integrity so that they can get support for their, for their thing. And then the third, thing that happened was about also about two and a half years ago, my friends from Peru called me up and said, Hey, Mike, can you help us? We want to like the retreat center that I had been affiliated with closed down at the beginning of COVID. They said, we want to kind of do what we were doing, but better because, you know, it's a different sort of organizational structure. We want to kind of make this um, more um, divine feminine focus. We want to have nicer facilities and all this kind of stuff. And so I was like, all right, I'm jumping on board with that. And so I've been running that too. And it's been a slow process to get that project going, but it's also been uh, a blessing because I feel like I've been going on for a while, uh, a blessing because inevitably people ask me about ayahuasca mm -hmm. and they say, Oh, well, you know, like whether they're working with me or they've heard that I've done it a bunch of times and they say, Hey, you know, what do you know about ayahuasca? What, um, <clears throat> What can you share with me? Because I would like to experience it. And unfortunately, you know, being involved in the guide community for four years now and being in a lot of groups and supervision groups and a lot of stuff happens at retreats that might not be at a lot of retreat centers that you know, people are people, you know. Uh, and so I'm happy to have Heart Sanctuary as a place where I can, without any qualification or hesitation, send a client who's going to come back and maybe see me and talk to me and know me send them there and like, know like <laughs> everything is fine. They're going to have yeah. 
uh, a totally ethical and um, an ethical experience done in the highest level of integrity. And not only that, the uh, curandero that we work with, I mean, I've done ayahuasca 40, 41 to 45 times. I don't know exactly. It's nine different ayahuasqueros, different capabilities. And, uh, you know, Nacho, who works with us down there, for me, is for sure the most beautiful ceremony. And um, mm-hmm. people who have done a lot of ayahuasca and sat with Nacho were like, wow, that was something else. And I was like, yeah, it is something else. And so I'm very honored to be working with him, that he's uh, embraced our project and is working with us. So, so yeah, all these balls in the air still have kids and still yeah. live in life. So that's the story. So what would you say is the kind of the learning that you got from all of that? Mm, the learning? Well, first... You know, it's kind of like my approach to working with people. So first was like unpacking and getting over all the bullshit that, you know, traumas, core beliefs, um, you know, even my relationship that I was in that wasn't serving me. took me a long time to like realize that that wasn't serving me and getting out of it. But that was kind of the first part was like, like, like I had this, one of the first things that I got rid of was uh, I realized that there was this underlying like theme of shame like in my like way of being that I didn't really know where, and I never actually knew where it came from. I had, you know, parents that loved me. I didn't have like any, but there was just kind of this underlying belief that there was something to be ashamed of. And uh, maybe I think in my third ayahuasca experience, I recognized that and like dropped it, like fully dropped it. It was like, it's like, what are you talking? What are you doing? So that was like something. And then uh, just going through life with, uh, you know, problems that maybe I hadn't been looking at in the, right way what what expanded states do is they actually let you see the same problem from a different reference point and so i'm seeing like problems in my life from different reference points and making and being like oh that's what's going on and making adjustments uh to my own life whether that be in my business whether that be my relationships whether that be with my kids with my parents with my friends whoever that may be and then um and that part of the uh transformational process as i like to uh think about it i call and i borrowed the word uh from my uh from my teacher one of my teachers i call it empty the vessel so you're getting rid of all these belief structures that don't serve you you're getting rid of like everything in life that doesn't serve you primarily the idea that things that in order to be happy and satisfied with your life that you need to have things be a certain way externally to you, you know, people, and then you get like one of the things that folks say a lot of times, right. When medicine is starting to embrace them, they're like, wow, I really, I really try and control everything in my life, you know, Mm -hmm. meaning like if things are not how I want them to be externally, you know, I want my husband or my wife to be a certain way, or I want my kids to be a certain way, or I want my job to be a certain way, then I don't find satisfaction in, happiness internally. So that is like the first thing, emptying all that stuff and emptying, emptying all that, the trauma, all the belief structures and stuff. And then realizing that, wow, I can actually be happy when, when the vessel is empty, when you're not reacting based on all this underlying, you know, stuff and you're being able to respond uh, better then you know, to the environment as it's confronting you and be like, Oh, okay. See from a little bit like, huh, Okay, that's what's happening and responding rather than reacting. Then your vessel is empty. Then the next stage is to remember who you really are. So that is, you know, borrowed from Alan Watts, who's like 
remembering this is like, so this would be a much more intense sort of like experience, uh, the ego death, uh, classic mystical state, um, where you realize, you know, put in a nutshell, kind of invited the Dante sort of stuff, like, Hey, you are God and God is everything, yeah. you know, the full connection, the full embracing of, of what you really are. So you go into it and now you kind of like clear. So you're able to surrender because you're not so concerned holding on to control. Oh my goodness. I think I'm dying kind of stuff. You just get like, let it go. And then you have your ego death experience. You're like, Oh my God, I forgot that this is what, this is what's really going on. And then you come back together and you're like, Oh shit, here I'm again. All right. Well, I remember that that's here. And so now let's move forward in life. Life continues to happen. You know, stress has happened life. And then sometimes a little shine gets off the apple. And, uh, and then you go back to the well. So that's the third thing. Like, you know, the people that are going every week or every month, like, I think that's, a, that's an issue itself. But, you know, you go every six months or whenever you need to tune up, you need to re-remember who you are. Then you go back to the well, you take another drink and you say, oh, okay, I remember what's going on. Okay, let's keep going on with life. So I think that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I, I really love that description of an experience because that, that's spot on for what I've uh, experienced myself too. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the, the men's work and, uh, what was it about, uh, what was it about doing these men's retreats that inspired you? Like that, I know you mentioned that that came, came from that, uh, non-psychedelic trip, but obviously that, that came out of something inside of you. What is it about doing men's work that is so fulfilling for you? I think it is because men need a lot of help, right? So if you, like my teacher Marcella would always say, like, if we do a circulo de danza, like a dance circle, like for sacred dancing and stuff, and we invite it to the public, we'll get 25 women and two dudes, right? <laughs> guys are so guys are so scared to be vulnerable. They're so scared to connect. They're so scared to, to, um, to you know, to be authentic and vulnerable. They don't know how, either they've been taught how to not have, they've not been taught how to, or they haven't had role models for how to be authentic and vulnerable and, and, um, and all that stuff that we want to want people, we want people, not just men, but we want people to do, uh, they get scared. Like I don't dance or I don't do this. I don't express myself in this way, you know, and it's led, I'm sure you've heard of the crisis in masculinity in the United States. Uh, you know, men are killing themselves at, at greater rates than ever. If they feel disconnected, mm-hmm you know, all these kinds of things. And it's a result of that. And, you know, through working with my close friends group, you know, doing expanded state stuff together, we kind of like, you know, it's what like, wow, we got more and more connected, more close. And we realized that we can support each other in this way and that we can, um, we can show others how to be vulnerable by example, which is one of the big things, like all the facilitators at the MOI or men of integrity retreat, you know, they're very good at, you know, being solid and also being able to express themselves. Like what emotions are going on? What's going on in my head? How do I, how, how, how am I experiencing you right now? And, um, so, um, so it's really important for men to have a space where they can do this, but not, you know, there, there's also the, the other angle that I don't not super into because I do want men to connect with their divine feminine, but I also want to realize, you know, what it means to be masculine, which it means to, it's why we're called men of integrity, primary characteristic in my sort of way of thinking, 
primary uh, characteristic of divine masculine is integrity, right? Mm -hmm. Means holding it, holding all the energy together, like un being unflappable. When something's coming at you, instead of like, ah, what's going on? I can't handle being like, all right, what's going on? Like assess the situation, take care of it. Not hide the emotions like, oh, I'm having this feeling. Like what's going on here? Like being aware, present, like fully embracing, you know, if the, you know, if like in uh, Advaita Vedanta, like the, um, the Shiva energy is like that just presence of awareness, you know, that's the essence of the divine masculine, mm -hmm. that integrity, like what's going on, I'm going to resp respond rather than react. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have the Shakti energy, which is the, you know, everything else, basically all the creative force of the universe and how the masculine then embraces and contains the feminine so that creation happens so that we can go out in our worlds and be our best selves. Um, yeah. And so men need a space where they can really get their ass kicked and like, um, not a bad way, but like, it's, it's a hard retreat. <laughs> I mean, we interview people ahead of time, make sure that they're ready for this. And if they're not ready for this, we have, a, you know, we have processes in place where we could do one-on-one -on -one thing and just make sure that they're, they're they know what they're getting into total informed consent like explain what we're going to be doing what, what it what it is we have workshops there's not a lot of free time i mean it's probably like an hour of free time per day we're either uh in an expanded state where we're doing like uh workshops on polarized or sacred sexuality polarized relationships five-year plan we do a five-year plan at the end so like now now you see what's going on, dudes. What do you want to do with your life? And then work on that. We talk about hydration, nutrition, um, breathing, all kinds of breathwork stuff. Um, start the days off early and end the days off late. It's a, it's quite quite an experience, and it is transformational. Yeah, no, it sounds like uh, one of the things that I notice around uh, men is most of us don't have other men in our life to share whatever, you know, that vulnerable stuff that you talked about. And then we end up dumping it on our wives or our partners. And right. um, that causes problems. <laughs> so so having a, a brotherhood or other men in your life is vital, especially ones that you can be real with. Yeah, and everybody's had the experience. So like we do monthly groups and then people are in, in the MOI community, people are talking to each other in real time, like calling each other up. Oh, I talked to so-and-so, I talked to so-and-so, this is going mm -hmm. on. But yeah, so reconnecting, because a lot of stuff that's also goes on in the retreat space and in the one-on-one uh, -on -one space is that there is no community afterwards that you can bounce off of. And so this is a really important thing to have this space. And what you're saying about dumping it on your wife, like even just learning how to communicate your feelings from a real vulnerable space. So even if you are talking to your wife or your partner, you're not talking from this reactive space of like, of basically like chaotic energy and like just dumping it on somebody, but you can like, you know, I've had a really hard day today. I feel this, this is going on in my life and this is how it's feeling and impacting me. So you can have a real communicative conversation and she can feel safe to kind of support you and be in her divine, divine masculine so that she can kind of hold you in that tender space as well. And then you can develop your relationship. Uh, it's very important that we, you know, learn how to do that as men. When you're doing these uh, retreats, the men's retreat, you're talking about altered states. Are you are you using sacred medicines in the men's retreats too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. It's a it's a really we use powerful... we use four different modalities. It's pretty intense, like I said. Yeah. Uh, so I tell you just briefly what they are. I don't want to go into like too many details as to what sure. they are. But our first day we call training. Uh, 
So um, training, and that's a very short acting uh, experience. Mm -hmm. And you can do it multiple times. And what we do is we can watch you and give you tips. Gets intense. This is what you do. This is how you breathe. This is what you tell yourself. This is how you kind of like move through the experience and like, look, you survived seven minutes. You're out. Look what happened. You're still here. You didn't die. Look at that. Right. So that's called training. Second day is called the deep dive. Deep dive is like uh, what it is. The deep dive. (laughs) You're going in deep. Mystical state. Ego death is the intention. Uh, It's a longer experience. Um, you know, we have the facilitators in the room in case anybody gets into into tricky territory, thought loops or that kind of stuff. Like we're able to support them like that, you know, uh, and also, but not just jumping in at the first sign of distress, like, like watch them, like what's going on. Okay. Okay. They got through it themselves. You know, uh, third day is another, uh, plant medicine. And that one we call, um, divinity within it's a totally different experience and you really connect. It's a little more, uh, chaotic, but it's also you really connect with the the feeling of like a lot of people come out of that says so I don't know what what really to make of that, but I really felt like like I have an eternal soul that is here. And I don't know if that what that means, but like I really had this feeling of like, geez, everything's gonna be all right. And then the last day is uh you'll probably guess what we do in the last day, but it's called Brotherhood and Community. And that kind of puts a whole bow on it. And uh, it's funny, lots of lots of guys when they're in like day two and day three, they're like, I, I hope I get my shit sorted out because I never want to come here again. And by day four, they're like, I can't wait to come here again. This was the best experience of my life. It's kind of funny when you're doing the hard work and then you have the fun part and then you put it all in a bow and then people are happy to, um, to, to get what they got. Yeah. Uh, it's, it sounds like a really powerful experience and important work. Yeah. Thank you. What would you say, uh, you must be talking to a lot of people around uh, sacred medicines and these plant medicines. Mm-hmm. What's the most misunderstood thing that you're hearing from people? Like what are their misunderstandings oh, that are coming with? Easy. Misunderstood, most misunderstood thing is that you're going to do some expanded state journey and then your, all your life's problems are going to go away with the journey. <laughs> That's definitely number one. Like, oh, you mean I, you know, they come back from this like trans, you know, transcendental mystical state and they're like, wow, that was amazing. Like all this stuff. And it's like, oh yeah, you still got to do life. Like life still goes on. Like you have to now implement and integrate what you learned so that mm-hmm. you're, you can be a better person in life and have a better experience and find meaning and purpose in your life. Like learn how to love better. Like all these things, that's the process of life. That's what we're here to do. Uh, so that is definitely the number one. I'm going to do whatever plant medicine you want to call it let's say ayahuasca you go to peru you do ayahuasca you think you're going to come back and life life will be better because your perspective on life will be better but if you're in a shitty job excuse my french but if you're in a shitty job you're still gonna be in a shitty job maybe the integration is to get out of that job and find a different career or something but yeah that's definitely number one like i'm going to go do plant medicine plant medicine is going to solve my problems and that's not the case the magic pill as they say Absolutely not. No magic pills in this life, thankfully, because we can't learn from magic pills. So if um, if you were going to give someone some practical tools to use these types of altered states for, you know, to start to make their life changes, what would you uh, recommend? Practical tools? I would yeah. say don't try and do any of this stuff on your own. Like Mm -hmm. at least in the beginning stages until you're really familiar with the territory. Um, It can be disorienting. It can be scary. It can be intense. You can get into thought loops. You can, you know, 
think you're going to die or whatever like that. Those are all, you know, like when I speak with somebody about doing this, I tell them ahead of time that if you have these things, I'm here to support you and you're not going to die. You're going to be totally safe. You're not going to stop breathing. Like all, all this stuff, like they, it, it, people who, you know, go and you can, these, these substances are readily available in California, uh, Northern California in the Bay area. You know, and someone buys a, a bag from, you know, one of these shops that are around and they go home and they do it and they have a terrifying experience. You know, uh, no one has, no one has had it that I've sat with has had a real, a terrifying experience. They've had some challenging moments, but I'm able to like, kind of like, you know, pay attention to what's going on and bring them back and in and that kind of thing. So I would say number one is don't do this alone until you're really experienced with the States because the States are also very varied. If let's say you had a wonderful psilocybin trip when you were in college and then, you know, life has changed and now you can have a totally different experience. Mm -hmm. The variety of, Oh, that's the second thing I'll say. The variety of experience is almost infinite, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so just because you've done it once doesn't mean the next time you're not going to have a challenging experience. So it's really, really important. I think to have somebody, at least a trip sitter that can be in the room and kind of tether you to, um, you know, the consensus reality, should you need that tethering. Mm -hmm. We hear a lot of, uh, a lot around, a lot about altered states and all of these substances. And as you said, you can get these things at, at the shop in San Francisco. So what is, what is making you excited about the future of these altered states of consciousness? Well, a few things. First and foremost is, you know, coming out of the uh, prohibition period, uh, which we're not out of yet. So I'll tell you what I like about it and what I'm worried about also. Yeah. Yeah. That's a more question like that. So coming out of this prohibition period, um, it is allowing, you know, less fear around these, you know, drugs or all that kind of stuff, less fear around the dangers. Cause these, most of these, uh, plant medicines literally are safe. They're safer than some foods that we eat in the grocery store every day. Mm -hmm. So more of a real baseline as to what these things are, giving more access to, uh, people to have expanded states of consciousness so that they can be more satisfied with their lives. And if enough people are more satisfied with their lives and can love better, right? Or can learn to love more, deep, more deeper, have more gratitude for the lives, have more compassion, compassion for other people. If that, any more of that that we can bring to the world is going to make the world a better place for everybody, even people who don't have access to, um, to these states. What I'm worried about, what I do worry about is that people get their hands on this stuff, don't know what they're doing, and they have a you know, they're, they could be contraindicated. They could have, um, you know, certain uh, psychological uh, diagnoses or ways of being that don't interact well with expanded states and they can kind of lose their grip, you know, so that, you know, you know, part of the work uh, as a guide and as somebody who facilitates retreats is to make sure that everybody, everybody, everybody gets an interview. Everybody gets a detailed interview. Like I, my interviews are about an hour long uh, and make sure that these people are not in a position or that make sure that these people are in a position to be able to handle the experience uh, and also know how deep to bring somebody into an experience. And, um, 
And if the experience isn't what they need right now, offer them suggestions and protocols for lighter types of journeys. There's breath work, you know, there's meditation. There's all these other kinds of expanded states that, you know, people are all excited about psychedelics, but there's psychedelics is just, you know, one expanded, one type of expanded states. There's all these, yeah. you can go to the Pasana retreat. You can, you can sit with, you can sit satsang with a, with a, with a, with uh, somebody who can guide you. You can uh, get yourself some a meditation coach who can actually like give you pointing instructions to get to the same spaces that you can get to with psychedelics. So they don't need to be for everybody and they shouldn't be for everybody, but uh, they should be available so that people, so we can have a better world. Now, what do I worry about? As things, yeah, I already said it, you know, I'm worried about they getting in the wrong hands of people, people who aren't ready, people who don't know what they're, what they're doing. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I also worry about something, um, you know, like um, the clinical trials that going on that are going on, like with MDMA, with psilocybin, with LSD, with mescaline, with ayahuasca in, in Europe. Um, fantastic to have clinical trials, right? But one of the problems with the outcomes of the trials, like when we get to like um, to get to like uh, insurance reimbursement for these things, is they're very restrictive. So. You know, most uh, like the MDMA trials, I think, are 120 milligrams of MDMA. But if you give a person who weighs 120 pounds, 120 milligrams versus someone who weighs 220 pounds, it's going to be <laughs> there's there's a difference there. Mm-hmm. So the restrictiveness of the clinical trial that's defining the uh, both the outcomes and the, um, you know, the protocols that are available for practitioners who have a lot of experience with different types of people and different kinds of situations is kind of restricts it and puts it into uh and can put the practice you know we need science but we also need the artistry of of uh of working yeah. with these medicines so that, that's what i would say to that yeah i can i can see that uh, i can see that challenge um michael what do you want to be remembered for um i would guess i i guess i would like to be remembered for being a good person hmm. and if i have you know, if there's a legacy to anything, I would like to, well, I don't care if I, I, I just want to do good work. That's all. I don't yeah. really care about being remembered. Um, I want my, the people that know me to remember me as having been a good person and the people who, with whom I've had an impact in their lives. I would like them to remember, remember me as having had an impact on their lives and that, um, that their lives are better for having known me and having worked with me. But yeah. in terms of like being famous or anything, got no interest. Sure. If somebody wants to learn more about you and these different offerings, what's the best way for them to, to reach out? Yeah. Um, so my best point of contact is michaeltiernoguide.com. I sent you a link to all of these. Yep. So that gets directly to me. It also talks about the ayahuasca retreat center and the uh, MOI retreats there. There's a whole bunch of, a bunch of testimonials like you can read. I don't know how many testimonies are, but there's a lot of them. They're long, they're detailed, and I'm very proud of them. Uh, you can read about that. I have a blog there also that just tells you what I'm thinking about. You know, mm-hmm. once a month I release an essay. Um, the second uh, place for the uh, men of integrity is moi.community. Moi.community. And that will um, actually link you to me for an interview if you're interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the third thing is heart sanctuary retreats.com if you're interested and i say this without being hyperbolic but if you're interested in having the most beautiful ayahuasca ceremony um 
I mean, I haven't been to every ayahuasca ceremony, but I've been enough to know that there's some bandwidth in this. But um, I just can't imagine a more beautiful ceremony. I mean, you just yeah. have to experience it. These guys, you know, we have like all these musicians in the room that are all deeply invested in medicine. Music is exquisite, just amazing. So that's a heart sanctuary retreats.com. Beautiful. And I, I will make sure that all those links are in the show notes for this episode for sure. Thank you. What's the one insight that you want the audience to leave with today? I would say there's nothing to fear. Absolutely nothing to fear. Zero, nothing. Like fear is. You know, in my, uh, my sort of philosophy, fear is what really is the opposite of love. You know, mm-hmm. when we are in a fear state, it's hard to love. And when we fear something, that's hate is a behavior, but fear is underlying feeling that keeps us from being in connection with other others. And I don't think, I really don't think that there's anything to fear. So that's what I would leave you with. I love that. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Michael. Thank you for having me. This was fun.